This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, I'm Jay Harwood from the New York Mets. Welcome to our Mets alumni podcast. Hey, I'm here with my friend Turk Wendell, who I've known for over two decades. And Turk, I want to thank you for something straight out. You, you and Rick Reed were the guys that introduced me to sushi in the late 90s. We used to go to this hotel in Pittsburgh. Do you remember those good old days? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was good. Turk, would you, would, would, I, would you be mad if I called you eccentric at all? Uh, no, you wouldn't be the first person, that's for sure. Let me just read us since they have your, tell me if I'm wrong. You, um, didn't pitch with a sleep. You had no socks. You brushed your teeth in between innings. Uh, you never stepped on the line. How did this all come about? Did you just all the minor leagues or just kind of adapted through the years? Well, uh, adapted through the years through high school and college and minor leagues. And then once I got to the big leagues, I, I did that. And then I stopped back in 94, or was it 95? I can't remember when Jim, Jim Riggleman was our manager of the, of the Cubs at the time. And he wanted people to see my arm and not talk about all the other stuff. So I stopped brushing my teeth in between innings. And how did, I mean, I can understand the, the socks. and the, How about the tooth around your neck? What is that symbolic of? Oh, just animals that I've hunted and been fortunate to, to bag over my lifetime. It's just uh, paying a tribute to the, to the animals and the spirit of the animals. But how, how how did the toothbrushing thing? What did that? How did that come about? Well, in '88 in rookie ball, I had a bad taste in my mouth, and I went to the bat boy and asked him to run up the clubhouse and grab my toothbrush, brush my teeth, and the next inning I went out and struck out the side. So I just figured, whoa, gotta keep doing that. <laughs> did you ever get any uh, toothbrush commercials or anything? Nothing close to that? No, never, never did get a toothbrush. Deal. That's probably my fault. Or a, or a liquor steal, but the uh, the company in Chicago called Brock's, they would FedEx me uh, black licorice and any other kind of candy that they made. Anybody in the clubhouse liked, I'd tell them, hey, yeah, send this. And and you you, you pitch with no sleeves, on. Is my memory correct? You never wear sleeves? No, I didn't I didn't like wearing sleeves. I just felt too confined. You mean in cold weather? All right, so, Turk, you come over here in 1997 from the Cubs. Uh, I guess you wanted 13, which which, which Alfonso didn't give you or couldn't get. So how did you settle on 99? Well, uh, I remember vividly having a conversation with you, Jay. And okay. I asked if uh, Fonzie would give me 13, and he said no. And I said, well, what number did you guys, what number do I get? And he said 10. And I said 10? And he said, yeah. Well, what do you want? And I had no idea. I don't even know why. The 99, I just thought it was a cool number. And I said, how about 99? And you go, well, that's pretty messed up. But you said something else a little different. <laughs> and he said, you got it. So that's how I became number 99. You're the only one in the Mets history to wear number 99, Turk. I think you might have that record for a while, I would tend to gather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's more guys popping up in the big leagues now wearing 99. Yeah. So then so we go into 98, uh, Turk. How much of it impacted, you know, in May that year that the team got Mike Piazza? I mean, you know, do you remember what that was like when, we, when he came over to us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I remember that pretty vividly as well. 
Um, it just, I don't know, it just kind of gave the team a little bit more, I guess you could say, uh, giddy up in our hop. Um, it just gave us like a little extra, extra edge, um, it seemed like, you know, having that big bat in the lineup. So, you know, I'm going back to your records, Turk. You were pretty successful in the postseason, uh, you know, three and one in, in 13 games. In the first game, I remember you won the uh, the first division game against uh, Arizona when when Edgardo hit a home run in the uh, top of the ninth against Randy Johnson. You, you were the winning pitcher that day. Do you remember that at all? I do. As a matter of fact, that was my very first postseason game. And, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, I was credited with the win. Great. But, yeah, you know, it just so happened to fall into place that I was credited with the winning pitcher. And, some guy named Johnson was the losing pitcher. But, yeah, it was uh, a, uh, the, the Bob Johnson, <laughs> maybe, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I, I look back on just wins. I always tell reporters I don't get paid for wins and losses. The only stat I ever cared about was inherited runner score, um, scored. And that's the only stat that I ever kept track of, and I did not want an inherited runner to score. It's a pretty good philosophy. So in, in the World Series, you know, the following year, we uh, you know get to the World Series, lose a tough first game, and unfortunately you were the losing pitcher in that game. I get Visciano had a little single through, you know, we could have won the game in in, in the uh, in the ninth inning, but we lost it. Do you think of I mean, looking back, recreating the history, if the Mets had won that game, it would have been a different story because everything kind of was kind of tough after that, losing the first game in 12 innings. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's definitely, there's so many different pivotal points in that game. Um, Timo Perez not, not running on the ball. He thought it was a home run, didn't score because it ended up being a double. Uh, Todd Zeals hit a ball off the wall. He thought it was a dinger. So he's kind of jogging and uh, Todd Pratt getting thrown out at home. I think Cookie Rojas took a lot of grief for that. Uh, you know, Amondo blowing the save in the ninth and you know, personally, from my standpoint, I, I warmed up, I think it was six times before I actually got in the game. I think it was the 11th inning. And so, you know, game one of the World Series, you're pretty excited and your adrenaline's pumping. And once you get up and down six different times, is that adrenaline going up and down, up and down, plus the wear and tear on your arm. I wasn't left with a whole lot left in my tank. And I got out of the inning, I think, in the 11th. And hindsight now, I should, should have told Bobby Valentine, hey, I know it's the game one of the World Series, but I got us out of that jam right there, and I think I'm done. But I'm not, I was too competitive for that. And, you know, sometimes you got to play the game smarter, not harder. And my competitiveness took over, and I went back out for the, I guess, the 12th inning, and that's when I was the losing pitcher. But it was the single was, did it just get through the infield? I, I just don't remember, unless I'm thinking of another single. I mean, do you remember? I, I, um, the ball was really hit that hard, was it? No, it was just a flare in the left field, but bases were loaded. I think I gave up. A hit or two and walk the guy to load the bases to force make the force out. Chuck, look at all your records. You always had the ability to throw a lot of innings and, and like you, you held the record one time for eighty uh, games in one season and, and and you pitched nine straight games one year. You don't see that in a nine straight games anymore. What do you think is different from what you pitched to what's going on now? Well, I think guys so they don't train physically and mentally enough, uh, but most of the physical part of training. Um, and that goes for starting pitchers as well. They don't they don't train to pitch nine or ten or eleven innings if they have to. And mentally, they're not prepared to pitch nine innings. They always, you know, now it's a quality start of five or six innings or three runs or less. They consider doing their job. But you look at the guys that really, and I wouldn't say uh, all the starting pitchers they don't take pride in their work, but I don't think they 
they they want that. I mean, they don't have that mentality of of a Kershaw, of a Chris Sale, of a Madison Baumgartner, or a Jacob Degrom. You know that this is my game or Verlander, and no one else is pitching today. You know, and Al Leiter had that mentality. Rick Reed had that mentality. Um, some guys would just more so think that. Uh, hey, if I can get my game, my team into the seventh inning with a win, I'm doing my job. Um, but as a reliever, um, you know, hey, my job was to prepare myself mentally and physically to pitch every single day if I was called on to pitch every single day. In the beginning of the year, you were a Turkey you were a starter, and then like I had like six games you started in majors, and you and then you had like six games the Cubs you you started, then reliever the rest of the way. What what made you switch over? Were you told to switch over? Well, I was told to switch over. I was basically a that insurance policy guy when I first got to the big leagues. Came up and down on that yo-yo, uh, I wouldn't say bus, but the just called up. Sent back down, called up, sent back down whenever when somebody got hurt or we needed a spot start. And uh, then I ran out of options, so they couldn't send me to the minor leagues anymore. So, so we'll stick them in the bullpen. And then I uh, I think it turned around into being a long reliever. And then I got a few situations as a setup guy. And then in 96, I was the closer. Just so happened to to work with the Cubs. And then spring training in 97, Riggleman said he wanted me to be in the rotation again. And I started uh, as a starting pitcher, hold the whole spring training. And it looked like I was going to be the fourth or fifth guy in the rotation. The last day of spring training, um, Riggleman comes up to me and says, hey, I really love having you in the bullpen. And I want to put you back in the bullpen. And uh, if something happens to anyone in the starting rotation, you'll be the first guy to go in the rotation. Well, that unfortunately didn't happen it was just kind of lip service and out of his control I guess and uh, Frank Castillo wasn't pitching well and they bumped him or traded him I think to the Rockies and called up Amari Telemaco from AAA to be a starting pitcher so I never did get my legitimate chance to I don't know I guess prove myself as a starter or fail as a starter yeah and I had I mean you can look at my stats in the minor leagues as a starting pitcher I mean I, I did very, very well in Triple in A with the Cubs. I did extremely well. Um, you know, as like I said, I wish there might be one one little regret that I have uh, that I never really got to, uh, uh, like I said, establish myself as a starter one way or another. If I failed, I failed, but I'll never know, and that's just life. But uh, I think it would have been pretty cool to 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 be a starter in the big leagues. I mean, I was successful in the minor leagues, so I think I could have. Yeah, I'm sure you could have. Take a look at some off the field stuff. How did you manage? You went to Quinnipiac. You 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 did three years before. You, how did you manage that with playing ball? And you got your degree eventually a little bit later. So how did you balance that out? You know, go to school and um, get your degree. Well, um, I ended up getting a degree in science and another one in liberal arts. But uh, you know, it's just managing your time. And, and do what you got to do to close certain things that in, in your life that, uh, you know, you just try to have closure with a lot of different things and not leave doors open. Um, but it's just uh, in between working out and hunting and stuff like that in the winter times, just managing your time, doing stuff online and that kind of thing. So, you know, anyway, one guy took way back, in the, you know, when you played, 
you were the, one of the first guys who really came to the PR department to do charity stuff. You, you know, you did. We had Wendell Wednesdays, and and you came to us. We didn't really come to you. Was there somebody who taught you that going, you know, the, the right way to do things more than just baseball? You, you got to do other things in the community because you were really proactive in doing the stuff you did in the community with us. Well, you know, you live your life. You treat people how you want to be treated, just plain and simple. And to me, it's about kids. I love kids. And, you know, a lot of times I would get cussed out <laughs> when I played in Philadelphia specifically. My, I wanted to have interaction with kids. So I would tell people, hey, if you're an adult and you want an autograph, that's great. Send it to the field box. I'm all my own fan mail. But right now I want to interact. I want to sign autographs for kids. And I want to talk to kids. It's a part of my something I wanted to give back. I wanted to always interact with, with is, you know, as many kids as I could because, I think playing baseball is the greatest thing ever, and I wanted to correlate to kids that, hey, if I can do this, and I can show you that I'm a normal human being, just like you do with your mom or dad, you could do this too. No, and you, I know you were you were honored a couple of times by the writers for your humanitarian work. That had, had been nice, you know. You had three different awards for the stuff you did through the years. I know you didn't do it for that, but it's still nice to be recognized for doing stuff like that, right? Well, sure. I mean, it's it's nice to. You know, have people talk and say good things about you. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I know who I am and I know what I stand for. And that was always good enough for me. I didn't need props or anybody putting me on a pedestal or something or telling me how good I am or, you know, what they thought of me. Because basically, I just I know who I am and what I'm about. So let me bring people up to with Turk Wendell. Turk Wendell does live in a major city. Turk Wendell lives on a farm in Adele, Iowa. Outside of Des Moines, how did that come about? Well, I played Triple A in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, I played single A. Yeah, I'm in a little outside Des Moines, a little farm out there. I just consider Iowa God's country most lucky because the winters are really cold and the afternoon summers are hot and bugs. And I say, great, keep everybody else out. Do you do you, do you have like overalls and a pitchfork in the morning? <laughs> but I'm wearing overalls right now. You are. I am, as a matter of fact. What do you grow there, Turk? Well, I have crops, uh, corn, soybeans, uh, big garden, big garden, about a, an acre. You have some cows? No, I don't have any cows right at the moment, but I usually raise one or two cows and one or two uh, pigs every year to slaughter, chickens, uh, big garden, like I said, about an acre garden where I grow my vegetables and can them all and uh, just try to live off the land as best I can. You, you, you close to any – Des Moines, is that the biggest city you're close to? Yeah, it's probably about – 30, 40 minutes away. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, my friend, I really appreciate your time, Turk. Hey, I like corn on the cob. Maybe if they give me my address, you can send me some corn. You bet, buddy. You just let me know. I'll have a truckload shipped out to you. All right, so you're the best, my friend. You got it, Jay. Thanks, Anytime, Turk. I appreciate Anytime. it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Bye. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 